Welcome. I want to say a big shout out and welcome to everybody up in Marwa. It's great. Let's give everybody in Marwa a clap. Let them know. We're happy to be together. It's great to uh, connect together. If you're watching online, welcome. And if we haven't met, my name's Dean. I'm part of the team here at True North. And it's, it's great to be with you. We're in a series called First Things First. Uh, and I hope you've been uh, enjoying this series. I love it because it's really all about going, life goes well. When we take the things that are meant to be first, meant to be priority, meant to be first in our lives, and we keep them in that first place. That's what this series has been all about. I hope it has been a a great way to start the year in lots of ways. Although, who can believe it's March already? Isn't that wild? Like middle of March. But even as we start the year and, and in 2021, start a new decade, we want to take this time and go, let's put first things first. So uh, maybe turn to the person next to you real quick and just say, let's put first things first. Tell you that somebody in Marrow, tell the person next to you, today we're going to put first things first. You know, this, uh, this series, it, it, one of the things we've just been, been looking at, it, it, it's all about how do, we, uh, how do we do that? And the first thing Jesus tells us is first in our lives, got to be most important. Jesus says, if you want to find life, the, the most important first command is to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That becomes like this internal compass navigation point for us, that this is what life is about. It's about loving God with all that I am. And then we've been talking these past couple weeks about how do we make that a practical kind of reality? How do we live that out on a daily basis? And, uh, and so we talked about what is it like to organize your week around God first, putting him first, uh, gathering for worship like we're doing today, we're putting him first. What's it look like to start your day every morning going, right, I want to put first things first. I want God to be first, and I'm going to come before him in prayer and align my heart to him as I start my day. And today we're going to talk about one of your favorite subjects. You like to think about it. Uh, You probably like to talk to some people about it. You probably really enjoy talking about it, thinking about it. Sometimes it causes you stress and worry and you don't like to talk about it or think about it. But it is connected to every aspect of your life. Today we're going to talk about how we put something first that is not just part of our day or part of our week, but it actually connects to every aspect of our life. And that's what it looks like to put God first in our finances. So we're going to talk about money today. Who's excited to talk about money? Yeah, come on. It's like usually I find there's a couple different groups of people when you talk about uh, money in church. Uh, some of you are here today and you're like, whoa, 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 I came to church. If I want to talk about money, I'll go somewhere else. I know there's people, you may come today and you're like, I don't even normally go to church. But this is why I don't, because I bet if I go there, they'll talk about money and they'll probably want my money. Um, and then... Uh, there's other people, though, who you're just like, yes, this is, this is great, because there's something you recognize about money, and that's this, that money is connected to every area of your life. Money, if we talk about money, we're not just talking about, you know, uh, we're definitely not talking a lot about, like, uh, paper and coins, because you're not even allowed to use that stuff anymore, so. But we're talking about something that connects to the decisions you make about where you live, where you work. How you holiday, uh, how big your TV is, or not TV. We're talking about something that connects to what subscriptions you can have to how many services. Maybe you're like me, and I'm like, I really need to check that statement at the end of the month. Here, what am I signed up for now? You know, <laughs> like, um, 
When we talk about money, we're talking about something that connects. And that's why. Uh, if we ever think, you know what, I can't, I don't want to go to church and talk about money. I don't want to hear what God says about money. What we're really saying is, God, I don't want you to talk to me about the thing that probably impacts my life the most. Is that true? You know, there's a great old story about this guy who uh, came to Christ. He was a really wealthy, successful businessman. Uh, he was listening to a, a, a young, good-looking, red-headed preacher. And, um, <laughs> and he really just, you know, this guy, he, anyway, just kidding, we're joking. Um, but he decides, you know what, I want to come to Christ. I want to be baptized today. And so he says, please let me out. I want to get baptized today. And he's like, I don't care. I'll go into my shoes, my belt, whatever. Gets in the water. And he's like, I'm ready, but hold on one second. He grabs his wallet, holds it in the air and says, okay, go. <laughs> you know. And it's an old joke, a bit of a silly joke. But the whole idea of it is there's something within us that kind of goes like, I'm ready to give God a lot. But hold on, this one thing, I'm not sure I want to talk about this. But here's what I want you to understand today. We're going to talk about how do you put God first in your finances. And in fact, what we're going to see is Jesus has an awful lot to say about this. And if you're that person who you don't normally come to church and you think, man, I don't, I don't want to hear what about my, this. Here's what I hope, if you're, if you're new here, what I hope you'll get is that actually in this book and in the teachings of Jesus, it's extraordinary wisdom about how to relate to money. And that, in fact, he'll tell you that what you do with your money can be, uh, and it doesn't matter if you feel like you've got a lot of it or not a lot of it, but, in fact, if we embrace some of the things God wants to teach us about how we relate to money, that is not about God wanting something from us. It's actually God wanting something for us. And today we're going to really try and get in touch. What does God want for us? Because I believe that when we put him first in every area, he doesn't do that because it uh, serves some need of his, but rather because it allows us to become the people he has created us to be. And so we're going to check this out. Matthew chapter 6. A lot of what we've talked about in this series has been from this part of the scriptures. This is what's called the Sermon on the Mount. Some of Jesus' most collective kind of powerful teachings about how we live out our faith. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 19, we pick it up. He's going to take us into uh, some extraordinary teaching on this area that I promise you is about so much more than money. It says this, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy. Turn to your neighbor and say vermin. vermin. <laughs> When's the last time you said vermin out loud? <laughs> you know, just thought that'd be kind of fun to do today, you know. First things first, vermin, you know? <laughs> vermin. And uh, he goes on. Not only the vermin you got to look out for, but where thieves break in and steal. It's like first you get the moths sorted, then you get the vermin sorted. Well, <laughs> look out for the thieves you got coming next. He says instead, so don't do that. So there's a lot of things in this life we can kind of store up. He says don't store up that kind of stuff. He says, but store up for yourself treasures in heaven where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now here's going to be the first part. Jesus gives three chunks. There's going to be three little sections in his teaching on how we relate to money here. Here is the first principle that Jesus gives. He's going to highlight this reality about money. He says, we all 
He uses these words, treasure and storing. And it's Jesus' way of saying, do you know what your treasure is? It's that which you value greatly in your life. And when you store it up, it's when you're kind of like, this is that thing that matters to me, and I'm just going to kind of keep getting, well, I want to make sure I've got it and I protect it, and it's what I kind of, you know, I want to make sure nothing can get it. And Jesus basically, we're going to just shorthand uh, what Jesus is talking about there. He's talking a lot about stuff. Stuff's a big, broad word. But Jesus is saying, you're going to value something. I'm going to value something. Human beings, we don't kind of, we just, by nature, life we are born with this inclination to move in a direction of saying, I'm going to value something. And we will start to treasure it and give it a great place in our lives and in our heart. And we'll store it up and we'll want to protect it and think this is what's important to me. It's what I value. And Jesus says, that's part of being human, so make sure you value the right things. And he's going to say, don't, don't, don't let your heart put all its value on stuff. Because guess what? All that stuff that we get so caught up thinking I value it, I want it, I need more of it, I'm going to protect it, I want to make sure nothing happens so I don't lose it. Jesus says, guess what? All of it. it eventually, it rusts. Eventually, vermin get it. <laughs> eventually, thieves can steal it. It's not something you can hold on to. So why would you treasure and value and store up something that fundamentally you cannot hold on to? We all know the saying, you know, you can't take it with you, but boy, it's hard sometimes to live our lives remembering that. And what is it we really want to treasure? What do we really want to value? And Jesus says this, check this out, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, why is that important? You know what we often think? We think it'll go the other way. Where's my heart pulling me? That's where I'll put my treasure. Jesus says, no, where you put your treasure, your heart will follow. I love what Richard Rohr, the writer, says. He says, we don't think our way into new ways of living. We live our way into new ways of thinking. We live in a, a time where we sometimes think it's all about feelings. How do you feel? Follow your feelings. What Jesus says is not follow your feelings. He says, what you, where you put your treasure, where the action goes, there your heart will be. Your heart, your feelings will follow what you do. And so we've got to begin to ask ourselves, where am I putting my treasure? What am I, so, well, how, how is this relating? Jesus goes on and he's going to give us, so how do we kind of, how do we, how do we navigate this? Well, he gives us another picture. So his first picture is, think about that which you are going to treasure and value and, and where you are storing those things up. Then he says this, feels like he kind of takes a bit of a turn, but it, you're going to see how, how this comes together. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy... Your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, well, how great is that darkness? You see, what Jesus is going to say, and this is the piece that I think we sometimes miss. We sometimes think oh, money is money or finances. Do you want to know what your, your relationship to money is closely tied to? Your vision. And specifically, your vision for your life. Jesus is talking about this idea of treasure and where do we store it and what do we have. And he says, look, I want you to realize this. Your eye, Jesus says, it's like the lamp of your body. And so what it looks at and takes in, if it's looking at light, 
it will bring in light, and your whole body is going to be full of light. And light is the goodness. It's the goodness of the kingdom of God. It's living life with peace and instead of anxiousness and worry and stress. It's if your eye is focused on these things, your whole body is going to be full of light. But if your eye, so he says if it's healthy, that's what will happen. But he says if it's unhealthy, then guess what? You're going to bring in darkness. You're not going to be able to see straight. Your, your eye is the key to what your heart values. And so he says, and if your eye is, and these words healthy and unhealthy, one of the things that they kind of describe in the original language is the idea of either being single-minded in a focus or double kind of minded in focus. A healthy eye is single in focus. And an unhealthy eye is kind of fragmented and looking in a couple directions. See, I want you to imagine this. When you think about how you relate to money or finances, and remember, when we talk about that, we're actually talking about the big picture of how we live our lives. When we think about what we are looking at, what is the picture or image or vision of our lives that we are moving towards? There is a, a, a phrase. How many people are familiar with the phrase, the great Australian dream? Raise your hand if you're familiar. Mel, if you've ever heard that phrase. All right, real quick. Talk to your neighbor. Tell me what you think is the great Australian dream. Real quick. You got like 30 seconds. What is it? What's the great Australian dream? If you're online, have a think about it. All right. Who, uh, who's got a quick summary of it? What would be the summary of it? Anybody? Own your own house. Nice house. Here you go. I, I was, you know, I'm always fascinated. Here's the thing about uh, something like The Great Australian Dream. I read a, a paper about it this week. I downloaded a, a place that had done some research on it. They interviewed 1,000 Australians trying to understand the nature of The Great Australian Dream today because traditionally it's been kind of home ownership in the suburbs, that kind of thing, your own kind of freestanding block. Here's what they found, surveying 1,000 Australians and going, what do you want most in life? Number one. No surprise, a happy, healthy family. You know, we all understand that, relate to that. That's what we all want most, pretty simple. The second thing was financial freedom, to have enough money to do whatever we want. Now, it's kind of funny when you think about it that this just seems like a totally accessible thing. Yeah, I want to have a healthy family, enough money to do whatever I want. <laughs> this is, we're talking, this is like the second highest The third Highest priority people wanted most was home ownership. Only home ownership, they said, has shifted a little bit. People aren't so concerned about having my own house. The biggest factor is desirable location. After that, the fourth thing was uh, a luxurious lifestyle, including travel. Now, this came in 2019, the survey. It's 2021, travel might have been number one. Just like, forget it all, let me go somewhere, you know. But what I think is fascinating, I want you to think about that. Now that, to be honest though, how many of you, probably in a bit of your conversation, more or less could get in the neighborhood, that's basically the great Australian dream. Want to have, we'd love to have like kind of the ideal family, some financial freedom, uh, a house in the right spot, and a little bit of luxury in our lives, some comfort. Now, I want you to imagine that is, I want you to realize this. We're going to call that dream the my kingdom dream. 
The great Australian dream is ultimately, it's very much a my kingdom dream. I want my family. And I want it to go the way I hope it'll go. And I want to make sure I've got enough money that I can do whatever I want to do. And I'm on my house where I want it. And I'm going to enjoy a little bit of comfort. I'll make sure I can get a burger a couple times a week at 115. You know, that's what the great Australian dream is. We don't need a lot of luxury, just a little bit. And I want to make sure, you know, that I could travel and go where I want to go. Can I tell you something? I'm not here to say, well, if that's, you, you, your priorities are all those things are bad. You know what? Luxury is bad. Comfort's bad. A burger is bad. I'm not here to say that. But we do have to fundamentally recognize our eye, we're human, and our eye gravitates. It gravitates, looking for what direction will I live my life? What will I store up? What will I treasure? What will I value? What will I give myself to the pursuit of? And we kid ourselves if we don't think that vision exerts significant influence in our lives. We can't help it. Or maybe we can, but we're going to have to be pretty intentional if we want to try and help it. So we call that, that's the my kingdom dream. It's a dream where life kind of goes the way I want. Got everything I need and the freedom to do what I want to do. How many people, perhaps, if you've been here through this series, one of the things you'll see is that Jesus, last week, if you didn't catch the message, go back. Jesus teaches his followers to pray a little bit differently. And one of the things we talked about in this first things first is how do you begin your day in prayer and aligning yourself to not my kingdom come, but a vision for life that says thy kingdom come. You see, Jesus wants to teach us this, that there is a different priority you can have in life than the gravitational pull towards my kingdom come. And so Jesus teaches his followers, his disciples, to pray, God, I want your kingdom to come. And whenever we pray, God, your kingdom come, your will be done, we fundamentally are exercising our capacity to say, God, I want to take my eyes off of the my dream, and I want to put them on to your dream. It realigns our focus. It realigns our values. It realigns our priorities. So do you know when Jesus says, Oh, boy, you got to think about your eye. Is your eye bringing in light? Or is your attention and your focus divided? And it's almost like Jesus is saying there's going to be, there's always these different competing visions for life. And if we try to kind of look and go at the same time, maybe I could have both. Maybe, yeah, Jesus, it's your kingdom come. Yeah, I want that. But I also want this. I also want to make sure that uh, I kind of got the life, the family, everything I wanted, the freedom I wanted, the comfort I wanted. Can I have both? And Jesus is going to say to us, one will come first. One always comes first. In fact, he goes on in his teaching and he says this. He says, no one can serve two masters, verse 23, 24. 
Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. You know, when Jesus says this, what he is trying to help us understand, and this is why this series is all about first things first. Jesus wants us to understand this. Fundamentally, something will always come first. Either God or money. Jesus says the greatest competitor He never articulates it quite this way anywhere else. That He basically says you can only have one master, one Lord. He says something will become Lord in your life. And this is the only time he lifts it up in quite this kind of stark a contrast between two things. And he says it's either going to be God or it's going to be money. You can't serve both. He says you'll hate the one and be devoted to the, you know, and love the other. Or you'll love the one and, and hate the other. And that's the whole point of that is. You can't be divided because if you're like trying to go, I want both, I want both, I want both, then when God tries to talk to you about your money over here, because he's like, I want you to come towards my kingdom, you end up going, God, that's interfering with my vision. God, why do you want to talk to me about that? Don't you know this is what I'm trying to do? Don't you know I don't want a lot, just total financial freedom to do whatever I want? You know? And then you end up frustrated at God. And you end up hating him. God, I had this vision for my life and what it was going to look like. And God, why aren't you helping me get there? And you end up going, God. Whereas God's going, no, I'm trying to help you come this way. I want you to have a vision for my kingdom come. I want to be first in your life. God's like, I can't be second. And you have to, and fundamentally, Jesus, you got to choose. You can't serve both. Now, the whole idea here, it says he's going to love the one, hate the other. So we sort of go, what? So I got to love God, and now I hate money. I can't have anything to do with it. I got to move to the, you know, like out in the bush somewhere and live a life with no money. Is that what Jesus is saying? So I got to hate it. You know, Jewish thought to hate something isn't what we think of as like to, you know, feel this kind of passionate emotion of displeasure towards it. To hate something is to love it a little bit less. And God's saying, you know, you can't, you can't, you know, you, if, you, if you love in this vision, you're going to love me a little bit less. You're going to think I'm just part of your scenario and how do I help you get to that vision you want? And if you come over here and you say, God, your kingdom come, and I want to love you more than anything, I want to put you first in my life, then you're fundamentally, you're not saying, I will never use money again or this kind of some weird belief and you got to go live in this. No, you're just going, finances will be a part of my life. Having a house will be part of my life. Having a family or, or thinking about security and the wise use of resources for the future, all that will be part of my life, but it will not be first. I will love it a little bit less. I will love God first. This is God's invitation to us. Will you love me first? And the greatest competitor that we so often experience, and perhaps never in history more so than living in the 21st century, where this feels so possible, <laughs> has it ever been harder to be willing to say, God, I want to put you first in my finances because fundamentally 
when you talk about your finances, you are talking about your vision for all of your life. You know, one of the most profound questions I think we can ask, I can remember being in my early 20s, being in a, a course with someone who'd go on to be one of my mentors, Martin Sanders, and he asked this question. I was still probably at a position in my life trying to evaluate what was my dream for my life? Where would I go? What would I do? How would I, you know, what was ahead? And he asked this question. He said, you know, we all get one life, one life. How are you going to take your life and invest it in a way that will make a difference in eternity? And when he asked me that, it forced me to reevaluate everything I thought about. What job I'll take, what income I'll be content with or, or pursue, where I would live. It forced me to reevaluate everything. And that's the fundamental question of vision. What are you moving towards? Now, when I answered that question for myself between me and God, ultimately for me it meant I believe God's called me to be a pastor and to go into ministry. And ultimately it would mean kind of moving to the other side of, of planet Earth. And, you know, little did I know, the other side of planet Earth is pretty good. <laughs> Especially right now, right? You know, but I know all that. I didn't know any of that. I just knew I had to suddenly say no to a lot of visions I had for my life. So I could say yes to what was his vision. You know, his vision for your life is going to be different than mine. His vision will be unique. It will be calibrated around you, your unique giftings, circumstances, who he's created you to be. It definitely won't be to do the things I've done and the things I won't be the things you do. But that question, what vision will drive your life? There will always be a, this kind of competition in our lives for the my kingdom vision or the your kingdom vision. And I believe that what Jesus wants, not from us, but for us, is the freedom to go, God, it's about you. You're first. Because do you know what's bizarre? The more we chase the my kingdom vision, the more miserable we become. There is, has anyone ever heard of the term affluenza? There, there is sociology and research started on this probably about 15, 20 years ago. And the whole idea is combining these words, affluence and influenza. And they talk about how in the Western world, especially the English-speaking world, there is this almost like uh, contagious spread of dissatisfaction with life that seems brought on by the pursuit of affluence. And there is plenty of research. Google it and have a, a look at it yourself. But you just realize the more we pursue what we think, well, like the less the less fulfilled we are. Why? Because if our eye is full of darkness and we're chasing the wrong thing. And here's God calling now. I don't know if you can hear that <laughs> in Meroah. Is that someone in Meroah calling us? I can hear it. Well, answer it. Say hi. It's really, no, we, I, I like to maybe answer that if I have it. I'll just talk to him myself. But there's <laughs> a phone ringing. So, but uh, you know, the, the, whole, the whole idea, here's where, here's, where, here's where I want to take you for a moment. You know, one of the things we talk about in spiritual formation here all the time is this idea of uh, rhythm and flow. And our whole focus for here's just a simple way of looking at how do you grow to be more like Christ. It always starts with vision. You have to have a vision for your life. You have to have a vision of what you're working towards. 
I believe the vision God wants for us here uh, is that he wants us to be a people who are, have a vision to put him first in every arena of our lives. We know that his ultimate navigating, guiding vision for us is, is to be a people who uh, love him with our whole heart and who hold nothing back. And that means we have to be willing to say to God, I'll talk to you about anything. I'm willing to have those conversations. I hold nothing back. And then the second thing we got to do if we actually want to be people who don't just end up saying, this is what I want, but our whole life moves in a different direction, is we have to put habits into place. Actual actions we take. This is why we go, yes, I want God's kingdom to be first, so I'm going to build a habit in my life. Not a rule, not a law, not a if you don't, you're bad, but a habit in my life of gathering for, to worship at the beginning of the week so that I know this is what's first. I, get, I start a habit of starting my day in, in prayer and getting in his word. I develop a habit of that so that my life is moving with him first. And the habit that these scriptures give us to put God first in our finances is a pretty simple one. And it's called tithing. And some of you will have heard of it. Some of you have been doing it your whole lives. But across the scriptures is this simple expression of putting God first in your finances or resources. Back in the ancient Hebrew world, much more even agricultural expressions. But the whole idea of a tithe was that you give. A lot of people think giving God a tithe is to give him 10% of what you have. And that's close, but it's actually not quite. It's to give him the first 10% of what you have. Tithe, and people have weird feelings about it, and I've seen people tie themselves and not come up with good reasons not to give God the first of their finances, and, and there's people, like I said, you may not even know where they come to church, and like, see, I knew it. They want my money. No. God wants your heart. He wants your vision. He wants to actually set you free from the endless pursuit of more, which is the vision of our world, and he wants you to draw a line in the sand and say, the first thing in my finances of greatest importance is that I give to God. That's what it's there for. And, and he invites us into this. And there's so much you could say about it. And if you've got questions about it, I'm, I'm happy to, to dialogue, even point you to some good things. Today's not to talk about all the ins and outs of it. But fundamentally, there's a reality that when you choose to put God first in your finances... And to actually offer to him not whatever's left after you're done pursuing this, but to offer the first of it to him. What you do is you set yourself free from that vision. You actually say, Jesus, I'm going to love you more. And instead of going, I'm going to try and do all this. And if there's anything left for God, I go, God, you are first. And guess what happens? (laughs) If you do that, it will affect every arena of your life. It will probably have an impact on how big your flat screen is, where you can travel, but you can't travel anyway. May as well tithe. <laughs> Just <laughs> worst reason ever to tithe. Please don't. You know what? It. it I just want you to understand, it's about the freedom of beginning to calibrate your life. Now, some of you will go, but I can't even start there. You have no idea what my finances are. I'm not telling you, go out tomorrow. If it would, like, like, but fundamentally, some point in your life, an orientation shift has to come that says, you know what, wait a second. Wait a second. I'm not just going to keep pursuing this over here. 
I'm going to choose to start putting God first in my finances. Maybe it starts with saying 1%. Maybe it starts with saying 2 But fundamentally, we always say at True North, it's not about where you are now. It's what direction are you moving. And we all have to find a moment where we say, no, God, you will be first. You know, my son is uh, 10, 11 years old. Uh, I say that because it's one of those two. And um, <laughs> it's, I just keep, I'm really confused about it. I keep saying 11 and remembering, no, he's 10. Stop rushing life, Dean. He's 10. And I remember a couple of years ago, yeah, he wanted pocket money. You know, a little bit of pocket money. And so we told him, we will give you 10 cents every other week. No, just kidding. We're quite that harsh. It's a little bit less kind of Charles Dickens-like than that. But anyway... I remember we first told him, look, we'll give you, you know, if you're a contributing member of the family and doing the chores and generally speaking, doing everything we say, then, um, just kidding, that was a joke. <laughs> Tell everything you say, good luck with that. Anyway, we were aiming for, you know, decent. And um, we said, you have $5 a week. But if you're going to have some pocket money, then the first thing you need to do is to tithe it. And that means you give 10% to God. It's a way of recognizing it's actually not your money, it's his. And, and you offer the first to him. And you know what? He was like, no. <laughs> and, uh, I'm like, but, but I'm a pastor. You know, just <laughs> let me read to you from Matthew chapter 6. <laughs> so, <laughs> and he was like, you know, I didn't, I didn't try it. To be honest, I had no idea. What to do. I just kept talking to him about it, trying to explain it. Trying. And he was like, you know what? I don't even want pocket money then. I was like, all right. <laughs> if you would literally rather have no money than tithe your $5. But honestly, I said, you know what? That's okay. Then you're not ready for it yet. And he wasn't. And then time went by. Lego came out with new sets. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> he started wanting that pocket money. And so we had the conversation again. And he said, okay. And I'm like, do you understand? This is, I know it seems like a lot. He's like, that's 50 cents. It's only $5, you know? It's 50 cents. Yeah, like $4.50. It'll take me years to get anything I want. <laughs> I'm like, $4.50 is enough for a mocha. <laughs> you know, but <laughs> some places. Anyway, um, so he said no. Uh, and so he said, look, we'll, we'll, we'll do this. And, and I explained, I'm like, you, you just have to, it's not yours. And when, you, and, and when you actually just realize that actually my life is about God first, and that is part of how you put him first everywhere. And I wanted him to start that when he was, you know, when he's eight, nine, the first $5. Because I can tell you something. If you can't tithe $5, you can't tithe 500 And if you can't tithe one, you can't tithe, it's just Fundamentally, no matter how much we have, this is why this over here makes us never stop because it feels like it will never be enough what we're after. And when you fundamentally at some point just make a choice to say God's first, that's when you find freedom. You know, some of you, you may be like me, it's later in life that you're picking that up. But, but we can all make a choice to just go, you know what, I'm starting, I'm starting somewhere. Here's what I want to encourage you to do. Here's my encouragement to you. I believe we all, we start with vision, and, and it's got to always start with, if you're not praying your kingdom come, your will be done, you'll always struggle to get to a point where it feels like freedom. But if that's your vision, you want to love God with your whole heart, hold nothing back, 
and, you, and you're going to try and develop that habit, the best thing you can do, I encourage you this week, is start to have conversations about it. Have a conversation. We talk about mentoring. If you've got a mentor in your life, talk to them about, you know, how, how you manage your money and, and tithing and giving. And just have conversations about it. You know, because just because you're even doing it for a long time doesn't mean you're still keeping God. It's about, how do I, God, I want habits that help me keep you first. But what happens when you do that for a long time, this is the whole idea of, of rhythm and flow, is that you end up building a rhythm to your life. It ends up what seems so difficult back in the beginning to just not even let go of 50 cents, you know. And, but when he got to that point where he could, guess what? It's just part of the rhythm. He's good with that. It's literally, it's set up electronically. Should we do that stuff? Like he knows, and he just knows that's how it works. And because what I want from him is eventually to live his life. Flow is this whole idea where you're just walking in the flow of the kingdom of God. You just, it's actually, it's not even effort anymore. It's joy and it's freedom. And you know your life's moving the direction you want it to move. So I want to encourage you this week, continue to be praying those things in the morning. Keep praying the Lord's prayer as you go through your day. Keep allowing God to shift your vision. Talk to him about these verses. And Lord, how do you help me to have just a single-minded focus? God, would you show me when I'm starting to pursue the my kingdom come vision? I can't tell you when that happens. I can only tell you it is something to stay constantly, constantly talking about saying, God, I want my eye to be healthy. I want my vision to be on you. I want to love you more than anything. You know, in just a moment, uh, we're going we're gonna to sing together. And uh, in fact, I want to invite you to stand. Stand up at, at Marrow. Stand up right here in the room. And in a moment, we're going to sing this song together that we started the service with, The World Outside Your Window. You know, I was listening to that song this morning, and I just had this sense. This is what God would say to so many people. It is so easy to go through life, and we're so concerned to pursuing something over here and I feel like God's sometimes saying to us there's a whole world outside your window that if you would realign that focus and vision to, to move from kind of oh this is what I'm after and sometimes we don't even realize that's what we were looking at but if we just say God let, help me to move my vision onto you because I promise you there's freedom over there you know I didn't want Levi to tithe because I'm thinking, yeah, our church, you know, people think church, it needs our money. Like, I'm like, yeah, we need the 50 cents every week. If we don't get that, I'm going to shake down every other kid down, you know. <laughs> I tried that in my last church. Anyway, but <laughs> that's why I'm here. So, no, God doesn't need anything from you. Our church doesn't need anything. God wants something for you. He wants freedom. He wants us living a life where you are alive because you're not caught in this endless pursuit of more. But where we love God with our whole heart. And we can say, no, I don't care. I hold nothing back. There's no part of my life I hold up and say, God, don't. I just say, God, I want to I love you more. And I promise you this, no matter how hard that feels or how much you feel like, oh, no, I don't know. There is a world outside your window. God has got great things for your life. There's great things he wants for you. He wants to show you. There's a world waiting for you when you put God first. I want to pray for everybody up in Meroah, online, wherever you are. I want to just pray you'd experience more of what God wants for your life. Heavenly Father, today, really believe this is a message about freedom and a message about vision. That, God, there's people you just want to lift their vision up and onto you. And so, God, I want to pray for every person you're having that conversation with in their heart. That God, at the end of the day, 
they'd realize it was never about money, but rather, God, your desire to offer them the life that comes from loving you with a whole heart. God, lift our vision. Give us healthy eyes that can see what you want us to see so we can live lives where, Jesus, you are king. And the single greatest desire of our hearts is your kingdom come, your will be done in our lives on earth as it is in heaven. I pray today in Jesus' name. Amen.